0: Welcome to Veterans Connected, where maintenance and reliability expert and military veteran Eric Bevavino connects with fellow veterans in industry during each episode, where they exchange their experiences and discuss the transition from the military to industry and the paths and resources that led them to where they are today. The Veterans Connected podcast is proudly produced by the industry's leading network and learning community, Mobius Connect. Eric, over to you.
1: Hello everyone, I'm Eric Bevino, host of the Mobius Connect podcast focused on connecting military veterans to the maintenance and reliability community. Our aim here is to bridge the understanding gap between the military and civilian worlds, thereby improving the veteran transition journey and ultimately providing hope and a helping hand to any of our brothers and sisters out there struggling to find their way. We'll do this by interviewing veterans who have successfully made it through. For this session, we've chosen to interview one such Army veteran, Mr. Michael Parkins, whose fascinating and patriotic story is a must-listen for anyone interested in joining us on this mission. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing today?
0: Doing good. Thank you. Uh, I just got in from Texas, so
1: (laughs) I'm doing all right. So you're, uh, you're in Florida, as I understand it. Is that correct? I'm in Florida.
0: That's where I live now, yes.
1: All right, fantastic. And uh, traveling for work or business? Work. I'm work.
0: consultant now, so I, I travel weekly.
1: Work, 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 right? Out yep, on Monday back it. on Friday, that type that's of thing. That's it. Yep. Well, fantastic. That's probably a pretty good place to start then. Like what what are you doing today? What's your job and your role in this world and um you know, describe that a little bit to to us, please.
0: So, I'm I'm a senior reliability professional uh currently. Uh, So uh, the clients I've been working with lately uh, are in the oil and gas industry, although I've worked in just about every industry that you can imagine. Uh, But I've been focused probably in the last four or five years, mostly on electrical uh, reliability. So working with clients to uh, define what their master equipment list is, uh, do criticality studies, uh, you know, rank the equipment and then start from, you know, the most critical to the least critical, you know, developing equipment maintenance plans, uh, creating uh, job plans, and uh, really setting up their uh, condition-based monitoring programs.
1: That sounds fascinating. It sounds like soup to nuts, really, in the, the re- reliability program, or at least the foundational yeah. pieces to, to really get folks going, which I found fascinating when I joined the reliability space and it's going back a ways though I've been in lubricants for most of my career lubricants as far as they relate to reliability a little bit of time with maintenance and reliability consulting company but just to understand that many folks out there don't have the basics or if they do they're all mixed up and blended from uh, years past so so do, do you like what do you like best out of that job
0: uh one I like spending time with the technicians on the floor. Uh, prior to this job, you know, I, I worked at a, you know, basically the C-suite level folks, you know, making pitches to them and developing asset strategies and stuff. But you know, kind of lost touch with the guys on the floor, and that's that's really where my heart is—is is the actual guys that are, you know, in there in the mix, you know, turning the wrenches and getting it done. So that, that's where I like to play. That's my
1: space. Nice, nice. Well. I can I can definitely see the uh non-commissioned officer, NCO, senior, <laughs> senior what, what did you uh retire from the military as in the I'm Army. first class? Yeah. Nice, nice. Well, that's uh even though I I wasn't cool enough to be an NCO in the in the military, <laughs> I, I enjoyed working with the guys uh every day too. And really that's where the rubber hits the road, right? Yeah. And and having been both in the boardroom and the, on the shop floor. Uh, I think it's more fun to be there too. Yep, more definitely. For sure. Well, good. Well, why don't we uh, dial it back a little bit, the early days, where are you from? What sort of influences sort of got you into the military that, that and then we'll talk about your career mm-hmm. a little bit there and then the the transition to the civilian world. But let's start with the early days.
0: Well, I uh, I was an army brat, you know, my father was in, you know, career guy. Uh, I was actually born while he was stationed in Vietnam during the Vietnam War, mm. but uh, he came back. We lived at Fort Stewart, uh, Georgia, uh, in Germany, and then uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, where he pretty much spent about 20 years of his career at Fort Campbell, with you know a couple of hiatuses in uh, Korea. But um, my family had a farm in Mississippi, so I spent you know basically my my youth, especially my summers. Uh, working on the farm in Mississippi, and that's that's really where I first got my taste into doing maintenance. Because uh, the philosophy was uh, basically, if you break it, you fix it. And boy, did I fix a lot of things.
1: So, you know. <laughs> ran it into the dirt and had to fix it. So that's, well, that's right. That that's pretty cool. I, I don't think I've heard if you break it, you fix it. I think I've heard. Uh, Don't fix it till it breaks, or Mm. you know, you know, fix it when it breaks. You know that type of stuff. So this this was accountability from an early age uh, on on maintenance and reliability. Okay, and what kind of farm was it?
0: So it it was a cotton farm originally. Mm. Um, Then the the bottom kind of dropped out of cotton in the late seventies, and kind of migrated over to cattle after that. But we still you know grew some corn and. Uh, had some large uh, gardens and we put up a lot of hay. So I spent a lot of time in the summer throwing hay bales around. So that was no fun at all.
1: Not the uh, coolest temperature climate to be in for doing that either, right?
0: No. And uh, basically, you know, up before the sun came up and uh, you finished work after the sun went down, because basically you got up in the morning, you got everything ready to go out in the field. You worked all day in the field. You'd come in for lunch. Uh, and then you go back out and then when you got back in, you had to maintain the equipment and get it ready for the next day. So a lot of, a lot of wrench turning. Cause we had tractors that, uh, you know, were model years from the thirties all the way
1: up to, you know,
0: the seventies. So uh, a lot of wrench turning going on there.
1: Yeah. And a lot of, uh, looking at a part and saying, I think this will work. <laughs> yeah. And, and looking if, at, yeah. you know,
0: they don't make this part anymore, but what else is, what is similar to that? But I can make it work
1: <laughs> well, that sounds like great experience, not only for your your time in the military but then your time after the military uh that hands-on experience, especially in the work ethic too yeah. right
0: and and it kind of followed on. I mean, uh, in high school, you know I, I took small engine repair and then the next year I was a uh, uh, teacher's aide for small engine repair, and then I got into building and trades where I actually Got to be involved in building two houses from ground up. Uh, so that was interesting. And I was, so teachers paid for that. My father ended up buying a small engine repair shop. So I worked in the shop with him. Um, that was quite the experience. And uh, believe me, uh, working for my father was like being in the military. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah. it, it wasn't until uh, I joined the military that I uh, developed an appreciation for how. How well he was able to uh, berate someone. (laughs) I've seen him make grown men cry.
1: In a very efficient manner.
0: (laughs) In a very efficient manner. So, you know, when I got to basic training, it was all a joke to me. You know, (laughs) I'm sitting there thinking, you're an amateur. Can't you do a little better than that?
1: (laughs) Did he do any time as a drill sergeant?
0: Uh, No, he did not, but he was an infantry
1: Guy, so. oh, I got gotcha. you I got gotcha. you in Vietnam vet to boot right yeah. Uh, yeah. In, okay infantry it, special forces as well or or uh, no you know, he regular? was he was
0: leg infantry so he he walked everywhere he went
1: wow wow that's uh that's pretty impressive and coming back from Vietnam uh, I suspect he either did or didn't have a lot of stories that uh that he related to you uh, perhaps lost a lot of friends over there uh yeah. as well so Wow, very interesting background, and and certainly that would help forge you to be the man you are today, without a doubt. So, yeah. fantastic. Okay, well, that's where uh, that's where it started. So, you, your main influence, I guess, to join the military was was your dad. But it seems like you were on, a, on the path for skilled trades at that yeah, time. I was,
0: but uh, I also was in junior ROTC in high school, and okay. I was I was part of the Ranger platoon. I was on the marksmanship team. You know, um, I was paramilitary basically before that because I was Boy Scouts, Cub Scouts, you know. Uh, so, uh, you know, I was a patrol leader when I was like 11, senior patrol leader or, or assistant senior patrol leader. when I was like 12 or 13 and senior patrol leader by the time I was 14, you know, went to Brown C Double Two leadership camp. So a lot of things building up to that those leadership foundations and those you know uh discipline
1: early really yeah. early in, in yeah. your life too which is was so important i mean these are experiences some, that some people never get in their yeah. entire lives um so okay well fantastic so you're you're kind of in that mode with a with that angle towards uh mechanical or electrical repair you know that that yeah. type of thing and then uh what was the well, what was the moment that inspired you to, to hit the recruiter and and go sign up uh, if they
0: if they would have let me go to the recruiter when I was five I would have gone when I was five <laughs> you were right, <laughs> yeah my right. father was career military my grandfather was military uh, my uncles were military so everybody around me was military and you know we had marine Corps Navy and uh, army no, no Air Force guys in the mix but uh, so I, I was, you know, immersed in it. So that's, that's why you that's don't like to, to do. go
1: to the C suite anymore, because you know the Air Force is kind of the corporate. Oh, you, you know, know it's so it's in uniform. All <laughs> <laughs> right, on. I like to right give them on. a hard time
0: because they they have it so nice.
1: <laughs> well, there are a lot of Air Force veterans out there too, right? In uh, yeah. in maintenance and reliability. I mean, especially oh, yeah. in the aircraft maintenance for sure. But uh, well, good, good. So you were surrounded by. Uh, positive military influences Definitely. growing up. And, and, uh, okay. Well, cool. And then, uh, so, so where'd you go from there?
0: Well, um, I knew I couldn't be a pilot because I wore glasses. So I thought, well, I'll get into aviation uh, maintenance. So, mm. uh, unfortunately, when I got to the MEP Center, I found out I was colorblind. So that oh, threw wow. that out of the Oh okay. Wow. So I was kind of, uh, you know, deflated and, uh, but I knew I was going in one way or the other. So they, they talked me into going in as a behavioral science specialist, working with the shrinks. It's like, well, okay. And I, I took some college classes at night before I went active you know, in psychology and sociology. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, when I went in and finally got to, to AIT, I found out I absolutely hated it with a passion. I was not prepared for it, didn't know the world was as wicked as it is.
1: Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So, okay. So were they, were they grooming you for, for special forces at that point? Or was it Uh, just, uh, you know, here we think you're this. Well, you know, they like,
0: you know, you scored high on your test and uh, you know, we have a hard time getting people into this position because you have to score so high. So let's try (laughs) you here.
1: Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And, and you got there and it wasn't, wasn't really, it was horrible. Yeah, I, uh, yeah.
0: I struggled. Um, I found my study habits were not that great, uh, especially being 17 and being on a military installation and allowed to drink. Uh, so that was not a good mix.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so after I bombed a, a test horribly, um, I actually went to the, the, uh, the instructions and said, look, I, I just don't think this is for me. I need to do something else. So uh, I said, well, there's a slot opening up, you can go to truck driver school. I was like, okay, sure. Went to Fort Leonard Wood, you know, froze my butt off, never saw green grass, it was all snow all the time. You know, got to drive semi trucks, you know, on the ice and watch them slide around. And uh, got sent to my first duty station, which was Fort Lee, Virginia. And instead of driving a truck, they sent me to the uh, post headquarters, where I worked in the protocol office as a staff driver, and then ultimately became the uh, post command sergeant major's driver, and then the post commander's driver.
1: So, and that gave you some exposure to higher, higher authority leadership. Yeah, you know, the, I was around and, a lot and, of brass. Yeah, both in NCO and in the officer community. So, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm guessing this story sort of takes a turn when somebody from that crew notices you and says, Hey, maybe you ought to try this. Is that, is somebody, well, yeah, is that funny? How Cause happened?
0: I said the yeah. whole time, you know, even back then, you know, right when I started, I was like, I'm going to try out for special forces. I, I, I think I can do that. And uh, my squad leader at the time said, you're never going to make special forces. You know, you just might as well give it up. Um, I won't jump too far ahead, but he ate those words. I got to see nice. him again later. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, I ran into him later after I, I had uh, earned my tab, and he recognized me, and he m- remembered the conversation we had. <laughs> so
1: that was great. They congratulate you as well?
0: Yes, he did, yeah. Mm. So I, I, that kind of made me feel real good. But um, after being a driver, I thought uh, this is not for me either. So I, I – um, Re-upped for the infantry, re-upped with the airborne option, went to Fort uh, Benning, uh, did my uh, training, thought I was going to Vicenza, Italy, and three days before I was supposed to ship out, they sent me to Korea. But on the right side, it was 1988, and I got to see the Olympics in Korea. Mm, nice. You know? But uh, that's really where my, my leadership roles uh, kicked off in the military. Okay. So, yeah. You know, I was a, a young E4 promotable. I uh, got into a line company and um, I guess I impressed somebody and they made me a fire team leader. Uh, and then shortly after that, uh, they were short on NCOs and I, I became a squad leader. I was still an E4 promotable. So they walked in one day and said, you know, being a specialist, boss around specialists isn't going to work very well. Here's corporal stripes. Why don't you put those on? So, <laughs> so I, you know, I held an E6 slot as a corporal, you know, as an E4. Nice. And I, you know, got to leave there, went to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, same place I grew up, lived in the house I grew up in. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get uh, placed in the, uh, the recon scout platoon as a, as a sniper, sniper team leader. Nice. Um, then I went to a line company as a squad leader. And uh, that's when I, you know, said, I think it's that time I put in my paperwork to uh, go to selection for special forces, Um, you know, made it through, you know, end up being one of 116 out of over 500 in the class that, you know, I tried. you know, for tryouts and and made it through. And uh, so that was a great experience. That's one that I'll, I'll never forget. And the great thing about it is I, I had a lot of leadership time under my belt. And part of the selection is, um they have events where you'll picked as a leader and they want to know how well you can lead but they also want to know how well can you follow. Mm. So when it's your time to lead, lead, when it's your time to follow, follow. So you'll be begr- you're graded both ways. Um and fortunately, you know, like I said, I'd spent a lot of times in the a lot of time in the infantry then and uh I'd been around men and knew how to motivate men cuz sometimes uh what we do is not very pleasant, not very enjoyable. Uh, so you have to be able to uh, influence people, you know.
1: Well, without uh, doubt, know. and not—it's not just you know, thou shalt, or you know, this is a, a direct order type of thing, like you see yeah. on the movies, right? This—this this is a command, right? Yeah, well, I, I, I fall you.
0: back to the military definition of leadership: the ability to influence one in such a way as to achieve a desired goal or effect.
1: Nice. Nice. By rote. Very, very, very well done. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. And this theme of uh, great leaders being great followers is, is really been kind of consistent in the podcast as well as some of the, some of the really, really great books out there. And I'm not sure that that's very well understood. Yeah. Uh, And in the general civilian population, I think, um, some folks are are fighting for airtime all the time because they feel like you know they have to be heard in order to be promoted or whatever yeah. to be at the certain certain rung of the ladder. And you know oftentimes it's the folks that are the most quiet that are the ones that um, you want you want to listen to or try to yeah. pull information out of, right because they're they're the ones that have the most wisdom or insight. but um,
0: yeah, I have often often been referred to as E.F. Hutton. I don't speak often, but when I speak, people listen.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. People come up to you and say, "Now, I I notice that you don't talk very much in these meetings, but when you do say something, it's usually pretty damn important, right? Yeah. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, what's your longest shot? uh, You know, you don't have to tell me if you don't want to, but uh, I'm a little bit of a, a rifle guy myself.
0: Uh, well, I can say my longest iron sight shot was actually 800 meters. Uh, my Impressive. longest uh, scope shot uh, with a 50 cal was uh, right at about 1600 meters.
1: Beautiful. That's a long way off. That's
0: a long way off. <laughs>
1: that's a long way off. About 16 football fields. Again, yeah, I'm that, not doing the math in my head, but it's somewhere around a mile, isn't it? That's when Something they drop they before
0: didn't... they ever hear the, uh, the round coming.
1: oh yeah 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 Yeah. nice well i hope you put some bad guys where they're supposed to be and uh we certainly appreciate that that is you know that's what what it means right that's what we're here for all right well mike where are we at now so you uh you graduated 116 out of 500 one of the Definitely. best experiences of your life, and
0: got selected for uh, to be a weapons NCO. Got selected for Arabic language. You know, they don't you don't get to pick what uh, you're going to be, and they you don't get to pick uh, what language you're going to speak. But you're going to speak a language, and you're going to go to a group. So, um, again, kind of following along with uh, my my history uh, during training during the uh, the field phase. At the end, you, you kind of break into a, a mock special forces A detachment. And, uh, I got selected to be the, the acting, uh, team sergeant. So basically the senior NCO on the team. And, uh, I, I helped uh, a lot of guys that were not strong in their field craft. They didn't come from, you know, a combat arms, uh, background. So I was helped able to help them through on some of their patrols and get them to pass the patrols. Uh, so that was really nice. And, uh, I, I guess, you know, the, the crown and glory out of that is I got submitted to, for a distinguished honor grad for my class.
1: Nice. um, You know, it's not something something that everybody can say for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Without a doubt. Well, congratulations on that. That's quite an accomplishment. And then, um, so this was all in training mode, right. And, and then they, they send you out into uh, the wild at that point. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. When I when I reported to my, uh, my company, uh, they told me, well, this is your team. Your team rooms right across the, the hallway there. And Oh, by the way, you know, you're, you're the junior weapons guy, go in there and, and tell the senior weapons guy, he no longer has a job in there to get out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, okay. That's not intimidating, right?
0: <laughs> no, not at all. You know? Um, but I, you know, I, I got, like I said, I was, uh, junior weapons guy, but that really doesn't mean anything in special forces. Everybody's an expert in their field. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're doing something and that's you know, your field of expertise, you're, you're leading what you're doing, you know, whether that was in training or whether it was on deployments. You know? So basically, I'm, I'm the weapon, weapons and tactics person. So uh, we switched over to uh, be a hostage rescue team. Uh, so being a weapons guy, I, I ran all the ranges and was responsible for the ranges, uh, made sure everybody was safe and, and basically uh, led the instruction. Um, but I, I was fortunate enough to be on a hostage rescue team. I was on a, a dive team. Uh, oh, nice. I was on a uh, uh, strategic intelligence you know, uh, unit. So I deployed to a lot of places, got to do a lot of things. Uh, Probably some of the highlights there were uh, uh, I spent six months in Saudi Arabia uh, teaching the uh, personal bodyguards for the crown prince uh, weapons and tactics. So I worked with his close inner ring security, the guys that are dressed like him and got uh, sidearms tucked under their robes there. So which was was kind of funny when I got there, they all had these uh, big shoulder holsters with six inch you know, uh three fifty seven Magnum pistols, you know, revolvers. Now like you got anything else in the armory besides those? Oh <laughs> your dirty hairy weapons, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. So that that's really not gonna fly here. And, and uh the other great thing was they, you know, they gave me an interpreter. And I was like, well okay, I'll roll with it. So I, I kept the interpreter for a couple of days and then I sent the, the interpreter away on the, the third day. And uh, I'd never spoke any Arabic to them, but I just listened to them. And uh so on the third day when I sent the interpreter away and I started speaking Arabic, it took a few minutes and then it started registering all the things they'd been saying about me in front of me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> were they, were they careful about it or would they say anything? No, weird? they were not. Or, yeah, uh, oh, okay. Let's just say
0: uh, two days later, uh, two majors that were part of the detachment were no longer part of that detachment.
1: Um, interesting. Uh,
0: the great thing was I actually, before I started, I sat down with the crown prince had a one-on-one and he basically told me, uh, you know, these are guys are the protecting my life and you're the guy teaching those guys. And if there's somebody that doesn't need to be there, you'll let me get know and they'll be
1: gone. And he, he held to his word. Interesting. How interesting. Wow. That's cool. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. And in other cultures, I mean, probably got exposed to other, you know, additional cultures too but just so different from ours. And then like a stratosphere, like mm-hmm. more money than anybody in the world, oh, right? Yeah. These these guys, which, you know, money can't buy you love or, or safety. I mean, it could buy you help, right? Yeah. But uh, that that type of thing, well, very, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there's, cool. a,
0: there's a lot of things money can't buy. I was, I was teaching uh, sniper training in uh, Kuwait, and these guys had the best rifles, the best scopes, and it was funny. You, you sit down with them, and they start zeroing in. And if they wasn't hitting the target or couldn't hold a shot, tight shot group, it's like this this one's bad.
1: I'm gonna get another one. It's like <laughs> it's not <the> gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Well, I so you did some. Where'd you do your dive t- training? Just out of curiosity, because I, I did dive training in in the Navy. East.
0: So, uh, oh, Key okay, yeah. in Key West, okay, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, I've I've seen that. Um, I didn't do any training there, but uh, we had some reserve duty, yeah. some nice reserve duty and in Key West as a dive unit. We were doing some hull inspection for the Coast Guard and, you know, some other stuff in addition to goofing off. But, um, yeah, that's a nice facility down yeah. there. Gotcha. And then and
0: it, probably my best, you know, uh, fondest memory is um, – Cobar Towers, you know, I got bombed, uh, killed some Air Force guys. I was already in country, and uh, I was actually the only special forces asset in country at the time, and uh, I got flipped over into doing uh, covert counter-surveillance, and uh, working basically for the embassy and probably another organization that is in the shadows of the government. Uh, my, my actual job title was Legal Spy in Country. So... How cool of a title is that, right? That is cool, yeah, yeah,
1: and it's actually saying what you're doing too. It doesn't really hide. hide
0: Well, I got to run around, you know, uh, civilian clothes, didn't cut my hair, didn't shave, drove a different car probably about every day, uh, following around people that we thought were following around our people, and uh, building connections, you know, uh, butting up with members of the royal family and hanging out with them, you know, collecting a little information on them because you never know when you might want to exploit what information you have on them one day, you know? So that was a, it, a really it, cool it, job.
1: Yeah. At the end of the day, the world's very political. No, no matter how much we, we want to deny it or whatever, but yeah, somebody has got something on somebody. Well, that that's cool. So they, they tapped you on the shoulder and you had to tell the crown prince, Hey man, I got to go. Uh, you know, my nation needs me. And you know, this is happening. He's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Along
0: the maintenance front there, you know, mm-hmm. um, we maintained our own vehicles. Uh, we maintained our own weapon systems. Uh, especially some of our specialty stuff, especially on the dive team, you know, had to maintain all that. So, uh, you know, it's constantly working in maintenance. You know, where um, so I really learned that uh, things need to be done the right way, um, you know, because it's got to work when you need it to work. Um, sometimes your life depends on it. So maintenance was very important, you know, being able to to read manuals, follow procedures, uh be very technically proficient, uh was very important. So that that really kind of set the foundation as well for for my future career.
1: Well, it's it's so cool uh to hear you say that, right? Because we have high-speed operators like yourself on on the podcast and you know, even though uh they might Think of themselves as high-speed operators like navy nukes right <laughs> which is a different kind of high speed operator yeah. which follows a different sort of uh protocol a different environment but same fundamental maintenance practices right oh, yeah. doing the right things the right way every time so when you need that gear it's up and running ready to go whether you're making a 1600 meter shot sniper yeah. shot or you're trying to get your submarine underway to follow Red October or whatever, you know, that type yeah. of thing. So, so that's very, so was most, so your maintenance was on, so you did some of the dive gear. That's where I got an appreciation for it. I mean, it's yeah. life-saving equipment. I mean, I suspect in special forces, most of the stuff you have could save your life. So yeah. You want to travel life, and light and you only want to take what yeah. you need.
0: And you're working in a harsh environment behind enemy lines. There's no sending it in or, or getting another one shipped out to you. you. You've got to fight with what you've got.
1: No so, Amazon. Yeah, no Amazon yeah. <laughs> out there. <laughs> no Amazon of the Army coming to yeah. you know drone drone in a, a special part. Yeah.
0: So, well, good. Okay. Well,
1: that's great. So uh, anything that we didn't hit on the military experience side that you wanted to make sure to mention before we transition to your... It's experience I, I think that's pretty much the highlights you know i don't want to tell a bunch of war
0: stories or anything but you know well, I, we... I had a i had a great career i i loved it uh i would have continued on further uh unfortunately i had one bad jump that, that kind of wrecked part of my body and and mm. i could no longer physically do it and uh i let's just say you're you're a gunslinger or you're not <laughs> and nobody wants mm. to, to not be a gunslinger so
1: well, without a doubt, and that's uh, that's really interesting. I didn't have to jump out of airplanes, and it's not meant to be a direct comparison, but uh, I have two titanium hips now yeah. <laughs> in in my mid fifties. I mean, it's you, you do some, you do some, you carry it, but it was probably, for me, it was probably just like having you know scuba tanks or carrying a bunch of stuff on my back all yeah. the time. I mean, for you jumping out of airplanes, yeah. I've heard that so. Frequently the the injuries associated with parachuting, uh long term sort of type yeah. of stuff. But uh the, the whole thing kind of beats you down. You know, I, I thought yeah. I
0: was a pack mule when I was younger, you know. Mm. I prided myself on I could throw 30, 40 pounds more on my back than than most of the other guys and you know, walk further and you know, go faster. And you know, I thought I was indestructible. I I know better today. after some of those
1: irreplaceable parts wear out yeah uh, more
0: than one joint has been replaced more than one time
1: (laughs) okay well I'm sorry to hear about the accident but I'm I'm glad to hear about the success of your career and and certainly to have you with us here today to tell about it and uh, so you had a lot of leadership experience growing up took you into the army had great experiences in the army I'm sure there were some not so great experiences, but we, we tend to forget about most of those, unless they're good stories over a beer. Or, your, yeah, it,
0: or It's like when you're sitting in the foxhole and it's pouring down rain and you're in mud up to your knees, you just kind of look around and say, I really wish it would suck some more here.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Trying to teach, teach my kids the, uh, the embrace the suck mentality. Like yeah. there are going to be some things in life that you don't want to do, but you got to see the bigger objective yeah. <laughs> and you can't just say, I'm done. I'm out. I'm, you know, this is not for me. You gotta, you gotta go with the flow and it's yeah. nowhere near what, what you experienced yeah. for sure. Yeah,
0: I, I suffered through trench foot that that rigged habit on my feet for years. Uh, during desert storm, I was out so long, so often that, you know, I, I actually had uniforms rotting off my body. And uh, it'd be funny because I'd come in after being out for 45 days and, you know, for a shower. And somebody's like, man, you stink. I'm like, yeah, I, I have a real job in this war. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't get to take a shower every day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and you guys, I mean, are, does it by design supposed to be, on, be able to handle everything on your own be out there on your own yeah. you know evade and and you know keep track of what's going on with the bad guys for sure so good so mike when you uh decided to that or or it was decided for you you yeah, determined, decided for
0: me, yeah. yeah
1: to that that this transition was going to take place what uh how did that look i mean what did you do in preparation for it how, how did that go
0: well, it came about, you know, really rather sudden, uh, mm. you know, everything just kind of uh, started, ra- you know, rapidly falling into place. And really before I knew it, you know, I was about to become a civilian, uh, about to uh, not have a job really lined up for the first time in my life and uh, I went to a military job fair and uh, listened to a guy talk about, you know, an opportunity uh, and hazmat. And so I took the HAZWOPER training and got certified and Mm -hmm. and, uh, ended up going to a hazardous uh, uh, waste remediation company, basically, uh, where my first day on the job, I was handed a a duffel bag of uh, equipment, uh, a big envelope for cash and the keys to an old beat up van and said, and told, you know, head to Toledo there's a group there already working on a train derailment. You're going to be cleaning out sulfuric acid in some rail cars. The money is to pay the guys that are there, and
1: uh, oh, got there. You know, we got there. Yeah, sounds like a special there. forces mission of a different. It does. Thing. <laughs> and,
0: uh, You know, here I am. They don't even know me. They're handing me big bags of cash and stuff, and telling me head head forth and do great things. And you know, I show up there, and we're working. You know, twelve. Twelve-hour shifts, round the clock, and uh, we're hot, hot bunking in the beds because they're too cheap for everybody to have their own hotel room. So you, you're rolling into the bunk that somebody just rolled out of, which you probably know well in the Navy.
1: <laughs> well, that's better than being 45 days in the desert, I guess. You know, it can always be
0: worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, but they they actually uh, seek out military guys because basically the job is so hard. Uh, and then so demanding that most guys don't last very long and they find that uh, military guys will get in there and get the job done. Even if they don't like it, they'll get the job done. Where most civilians off the street or fresh out of school, you know, they last about a day or two and, and they're like, yeah, I'm not doing this.
1: It's probably even worse today. Right. When yeah. So many more people don't even want to show up. Yeah. yeah. Wow. OK, well, that's interesting. But I, I knew that was not my calling. So <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs>
0: but, you know, I to me, I, I'd rather have any job than no job. Mm. So I took a job knowing that I could, once I had a job, I could look for something that, you
1: know, interested me more. So, Survival, right? Get a, yeah. get a paycheck going, getting something steady going, right? It, yeah. So how, I'm curious how that ended up with the bag of money and the sulfuric acid. I mean, what? It was um, successful, and you. It was came,
0: successful, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Got people paid, and uh, we cleaned out the rail cars, and the, and the railroad got up, back up and running. And I uh, did a lot of other stuff. You know, I, I did a super fun site where they were cleaning up uh, where a refinery had basically uh, completely saturated some wetlands, about ten acres worth, and we actually went in there and dug down ten feet deep, and the whole ten acres. And I got sent out to be incinerated and go to a special landfill and I got to drive all kinds of construction equipment. So Oh you know, fun. There's, yeah, there's there's fun things to
1: do everywhere. Move move some a lot of contaminated sludge around. Yeah, and, the, and the funny part was uh it was a super
0: fun site. So they, they had a military person, you know, in there. They had a Coast Guard E four that was in charge of us.
1: Oh nice. <laughs> you
0: know, it's like, okay. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Hmm. That's funny. Okay. So, so you had uh, a couple. Well, this is the same job in the remediation, right? So, um, so how did you get into the maintenance reliability? I see in your LinkedIn profile, you have a lot of maintenance and reliability uh, experience. Uh, then, so, too. Uh, yeah.
0: So, I, I saw an ad in the paper uh, for uh, a motor uh, manufacturer and repair facility. And they were looking for somebody that uh, could run their uh, dyno stand where they test the motors. And I thought, kind of sounds interesting, a little technical. I got to play with some stuff, you know, lots of big equipment there. You know, it's like kid in a candy store. You know, look at all these great tools. So I went there and they showed me around. And uh, at the end of it, they, they thanked me and uh, said, well, um, we think you have too much experience. And we don't think you'll stay here. So unfortunately we're not going to offer you the job. I was crushed. I was so looking forward to working there, you know, and, uh, wow, okay. yeah. again, one of those things qualified. You know, yeah. They yeah. were
1: afraid of your afraid of the, the future. Right. And they didn't yeah. have to be okay.
0: Cause you know, it, it was kind of, you know, not, a, not a real technical job, but so, uh, I ended up taking a job as a fast food, um, restaurant general manager uh, in a very uh, wealthy town where the only kids around there to work were wealthy kids that didn't want to work, but they were only there because they got a bad grade and mommy and daddy made them. So uh, it was not a great work <laughs> environment. Matter of fact, I, I went into the restaurant two days before I took over as a, uh, a loner employee from another uh, restaurant, supposedly, yeah, boss undercover kind of thing.
1: Uh, yeah yeah
0: how they operate and then I walked in a couple of days later and fired half of them
1: Wow so uh I'm curious you don't have to say the town but what state was that it was that back here in Indiana Kentucky? Indiana okay so uh-huh. not too far away yeah 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 so okay so another twist before reliability maintenance and reliability yeah, what with the fast food industry, uh more leadership experience, right? Leadership more and management. Leadership, yeah. uh, so, so so when did the bright light go on or or who did you meet to to pull you into the orbit about two
0: months later, that same company called me up and said, We don't want you for the uh the dyno job, but we want to get you in uh and uh start working with our, our uh repair guys on the motors, working on the uh the field service teams, pulling motors Uh, preparing them, putting them back in because, you know, at that time I I had, you know, gotten a a degree uh, basically in engineering. So they they didn't want to turn me loose as an engineer because I really never worked around electric motor. So uh, I spent a year on their road crew, which is the best experience uh, I ever could have had. And I really think I'm very thankful that they did that before they put me in an engineering role because it really prepared me. You know, one, I knew what the guys had to go through. I knew what it took to do the job. I knew how to, you know, scope the jobs. Um, I, I really learned a lot. And uh, when my year was up, I, they moved me over into the predictive maintenance department. And uh, that's where, you know, I was uh, exposed to all these predictive maintenance technologies, you know. Nice. Infrared nice. thermography, vibration analysis, ultrasonics, you know, motor current signature analysis. And I couldn't get enough of it. You know, uh, I studied everything I could study. I went to every class I could go to. I started picking up certifications. I, you know, I just got in with the Society for Maintenance and Reliability Professionals. And I found, you know, this is my niche. I love this. Um,
1: Nice. Nice. Well, that... You know, in your backstory, now it kind of marries up all the, the farm work and, and then the military activity that you had going on. It kind of comes together in, in kind of a new way, right? And do you get an electrical engineering degree? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, that, that was great. Um,
0: the, the fun thing was I got to learn all this knowledge, but I got to use it. So I went out on, on calls and, you know, I did warranty claims at first. Uh, to see, you know, why it broke. And most times it's because they broke it, not because it was a manufacturing yeah, problem.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, but then we, the department started growing. We started adding new technologies. And uh, so we started doing predictive maintenance for a lot of our clients. Uh, and then for long, you know, you're getting a call from a client and say, hey, uh, we need you to come right away. We, we've been down for a couple hours. We can't figure out what it, what it is. We need your help you know, and you arrive on site and, you know, you're like Superman here I am to save the day and with all, uh, with you know, all your tools, right? Yeah. You know, I, I've got yeah. a band load of electronics and stuff, you know, Ghostbusters. Yeah. 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 So I start pulling stuff out and, you know, five minutes later, like, well, what is it? I'm like, you've had days to work on this. Give me a little more than five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> Let me tie my shoes here before yeah. I go into the building. Yeah. But you
0: know, it, it, it really didn't take very long. Uh, that you, you start to identify, you know, some trends and you see, I got to see so many different failure modes in so many different uh, industries that I got to where I could show up and, and I, you know, pretty quickly knew about what it was. And it's not because I was any smarter than anybody else. It's just because i had seen it already. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, I'd, ha- I'd seen all these failure modes. So, you know, I, I saw more than a month than most, you know, engineers at a plant see in two or three years.
1: Yeah, great experience for, for what you were doing and what you were getting prepared to do too. So, yeah, interesting, fun. So, uh, so you yeah. spent some time out in the field and they put you into uh, predictive maintenance. You, yeah. you had I, this, I, I headed up the yeah. department.
0: I uh, had nice. a couple uh, guys working for me. So that, that was really great. Um, then uh, it, it was owned by an individual that uh, I loved to death. Uh, but sometimes it could be a little difficult hmm. and, uh, we, we just really butted heads one day because I, I had a guy that was really suffering from, from a, an issue. He, he ended up having Lou Gehrig's disease oh. and, he, and, uh, we actually moved my, my office from upstairs to downstairs because he couldn't do the stairs anymore. And, uh, I'd gotten mad at a client that was being a, a bonehead and I, uh, zed out all of his debt and my, uh, vibration analyzer. And I said, uh, not only are you not going to get a report on this today before I leave, you're not getting a report, period. Because he kept pushing me, I want a report before you leave. I want it now, now, now. It's like, you know, I can look at it on this data collector, or I can go back and put it on the computer and look at it and give you a real report. And he just really rubbed me wrong that day. And I I wiped out the data and left. And I called uh, the owner and told him what I did and came back. And he's like, well, I'm going to send your counterpart out. You know tomorrow to, to collect the data again. I said, no, you're not. I said he, he, one, he's struggling. Two, it's not safe for him. It's not safe for the, you know, the, the plant. So um long story short, I turned in my keys. I left. That was a Friday afternoon. Uh Monday morning, he called me and said, Where are you at? And I said, Do you not remember the conversation we had Friday? I quit. <laughs> he's like, I thought you were joking. I was like, I don't joke. So uh, he's like, know, it happens, right? It happens. Yeah. Yeah, but I, yeah. I built a really good reputation for myself around that, you know, area in that industry. And uh, I called his, uh, uh, his direct competitor and said, Hey, I'm looking for a job. And uh, five minutes later, he hired me.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, you know, some of these in the moment things that people don't really, really think through. I mean, can have long lasting ramifications like, Losing their lead, you know, yeah. leader in in the department. I mean, it's always uh, worthwhile. I think that's a that's a leadership lesson to sit back and take a breath and listen to your folks, right? And say, hey, uh, there's something. Going on here, maybe maybe I listen. This guy with all this army experience and all this other experience probably has probably has something uh, you know a, a nugget of wisdom in there somewhere for sure. It,
0: it was really a blessing because my my career yeah. really took off from there. Okay, uh, uh, I ended up getting a call out of the blue from Fleur. I uh, wanted mm. to know if I would uh, be interested in uh, being a reliability engineer for them uh, on a project. Uh, so I, I went and did a, a big. Restoration project at a steel mill. Uh, worked through a lot of uh, issues that they were having. They almost lost their biggest client because of a defect in the in the steel rolls. And I oh, led up a uh, root cause failure analysis, uh, and uh, we found what was causing the defect. Was able to to, to fix it. Um, so a, meta-
1: a metallurgical or process issue. So it was really like where
0: uh, when they harden the rolls in the mill. Uh, they basically had stress fractures in the rolls and mm. as the rolls wore and they started, uh, uh, milling the rolls down, they were getting deeper and deeper into these fr- fractures. What was happening is the fractures were catching the steel and making a lip in the steel. And, uh, when it would go off to the car manufacturer, because that little lip was in there, paint would not adhere to it. Uh. And, uh, you know, Toyota doesn't like it when paint falls off their cars.
1: very special process of of painting those cars too (laughs) from what i understand or or have seen in the past i don't know if it's the same as it is today but okay well that's that's interesting so got you more and more responsibility probably a large larger department big projects that type of projects
0: and uh, then i i uh, got a call and guy wanted to know if i was interested in being a reliability engineer for DSM engineering plastics. It's like, sure. I uh, went, I uh, got the job, and it uh, wasn't for long that my boss left. And his role, uh, job title was Manager Improved Plant. It's a Dutch company, Dutch titles. So basically, there's two managers of the plant there's uh, Manager Improved Plant, which is all your environmental safety, uh, maintenance, engineering. And then there's operate plant normal which is your operations manager
1: and together we manage the plant mm. so. okay so they like co-managers the facility and that was injection molding or, or pelletizing or so it was
0: pelletizing
1: okay uh, gotcha and, and gathering more and more experience along the way yeah. with different types of of equipment so now your your stack of equipment familiarity is really yeah. really getting getting large yeah, okay yeah, yeah. i'm yeah. getting
0: Uh, deep into that and, you know, getting into twin screw extruders, which actually helped me out in another job I got down the road. So everything I've ever done has actually prepared me for the next role. I couldn't have planned it out any better if I had sat down and planned what my career was going to be. Literally, there's not something that I, you know, that I needed to know that I didn't get from the last uh, job or role that I was in.
1: Interesting. And just by sort of going with the flow and working hard and, you know, yeah. showing up every day. Man. Yeah. And
0: then uh, my wife wanted to move to Florida to be closer to her parents, our grandparents. I said, hey, if I got a job offer, I get an opportunity. I go to Florida. Got a call from General Mills. Uh, we're increasing our uh, reliability staff and uh, want to know if you'd be interested in a job. And it's like, where at? It's like, where do you want to be? I said, well, it's close to Florida I get. They said, how about Georgia? I said, sounds good.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Haven't been in food manufacturing yet. Why not?
0: (laughs) That was one of the best job interviews I ever had. So I had a a phone interview. They liked what I had. And they said, can you come down to the plant? So I went to the plant. Um, They sent me in front of a couple engineers. They talked to me, asked me questions. And I was like, we're going to take you down to the maintenance shop. The maintenance guys had an interview for me. So the rotating guys had a gearbox and I said, tell me what's wrong with this gearbox. So I looked at the gearbox and rolled it around and it didn't take me very long. It's like, it's got a bad bearing. It's like, yeah. Well, and they asked me, well, how would you fix it? And I Talked about, you know, getting the manual, looking, and you know, what the parts were and everything. And I was like, all right. So then they took me over to the, uh, the electrical guys and they've got a motor there tell me what's wrong with it it's like you're right in my wheelhouse now buddy (laughs) (laughs) i came from my motor shop (laughs) i said i need a mega and a million meter (laughs) for long it's like well one it's grounded
1: (laughs) so buddy that was their big test right they didn't know who they were who they were talking to so this is a good uh transition i think Excuse me Mike to uh to go into I mean you've just talked about your experiences what what yeah. sort of what sort of tips would you give uh, veterans transitioning out of the military on their on their search sounds like you hit a military recruiter or job fair or something like that i mean it's yeah. been a while right it's been a while for me too but like what are the what were the basic things or that you would say to to anybody yeah. getting out to...
0: Well, well, I've been on both sides of the table. Um, okay.
1: Because I also right,
0: yeah. uh, went to military affairs as a potential employer okay. and interviewed a lot of military guys. Awesome. Fantastic, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and what, what you find is a lot of them really have never really set through interviews, um, so they're kind of rigid sometimes. They, they almost think it's a soldier of the month board or a promotion board, you know, and they think they've got to give the perfect answer, and uh, they're afraid to give the wrong answer. You know, and it's really, you know, relax, take a breath. Let's just have a conversation. You know, I find I can, I can know more about an individual in a, a five, 10 minute conversation with them than I, I will in 30 minutes of asking them a bunch of stupid questions. So, <laughs> right. You know,
1: is so that the truth? Big, yeah. Yeah.
0: So the big thing is, you know, don't be afraid to, to kind of relax, take a breath, uh, tell them what you're interested in, what your passion is, why you think that. That job would, you know, interest, you know, you. Um, and, uh, you know, don't be afraid to make a mistake. Uh, on the potential employer side, you got to realize that these guys may be a little nervous. They're not probably polished in uh, interviewing. And, uh, you know, it may be, the, you know, like me, the first time I was going to be without a job and I was nervous, you know, so uh, some of them are a little nervous, you know, they want to know, Well, you know, well, I know today, well, I know tomorrow, you know, how quick can I start? You know, and sometimes the process isn't that fast. Mm. So, you know, just take the time, get to know them. I I, I never really cared about what their military specialty is. What did you do while you you were in service? You know, tell me exactly what you did.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And being able to translate those uh, experiences into because Everybody gets leadership. I mean, even yeah. if you're in for four years, unless you just are can't do anything, right? You're you're yeah. gonna either be leading a team of one or two or three or five or yeah. ten by the time you're you've yeah. transitioned. Even uh, E threes
0: have leadership time, you know.
1: Right mm-hmm.
0: on. At, at the post protocol office, I was an E three at one point. I was a senior driver in the in the protocol pool, and I was in charge of all the other drivers. You know, they were E threes, E twos, and E ones. So, but everybody has leadership time.
1: Yeah, so, and, and and that's that's what I I feel, and and maybe you've seen it as well in your time in the civilian world is that the opportunity for leadership in the civilian world is a lot different, right? Like yeah. it's it's there in the military, and not only is it there, but it's surrounded by the biggest organization, one of the biggest organizations in the world that's focused on leadership. You get out to the civilian world and you have these highly coveted, whether it's sales management, engineering management, whatever, highly coveted like next steps in the in the ladder. And one of the limiters is, well, you don't have any man you don't have a leadership experience. Yeah. We're we're afraid that you're not going to be able to lead. Well, if yeah. you got the military experience, you you know how to lead. Well, it's two, three, yeah. five, ten, forty, and uh, and yeah. So that's that's something. I think it's wise for yeah. you to highlight that. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's they, good they, they
0: need to you know point that out you know because they, a lot of people just think, well, I really didn't do anything. I, I only turned a ranch or I only drove a truck. You know, it's not just that's all you did. You know, you led people. You led people in uh, stress. You know, situations. You had to deal with a diverse group of people. Uh, you had to deal with different personalities. You had to be able to to communicate effectively. Um, so, you know, it, it's a very valuable experience. So they shouldn't, you know, undersell themselves. They they need to be able to put themselves out there. And one thing I found is you've got to be able to to, to take a risk and put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could have easily stayed at, a, at that motor shop for 20, 30 years and done the same thing for 20, 30 years. But, you know, I maybe the special forces enemy or whatever, you know, I want to do more. I want to do better. I want to be the best at what I do. So I kept pushing and pushing, you know, to, to step out there and step outside the comfort zone. That, that's what's really important. Don't be afraid to step outside your comfort zone. Uh, you know. I love it.
1: I love it. I mean, the bias to action, the always looking for the next qualification yeah. sort of thing. And that's, I mean, rings true in, in the Navy too. I'll never stop, leading and never stop learning yeah right and not don't be satisfied with with sitting around and and the status quo that's yeah that's you awesome know, yeah you know,
0: i've got a stack full of certifications and and stuff and you know that that's great but it's you know i just my quest for knowledge and uh quest to be better at what i do i i spent a lot of nights you know reading books and studying on my own that nobody said hey go study this i just knew that I need to be a little bit smarter in this. You know, I need to know a little bit more about that. So it's that drive to, to excel and it, it's worked well for me. You know, I, I made it all the way up to a uh, uh, senior manager and the fourth largest consulting company in the world, you know? So that, that says something about, you know, from a, a guy that, that grew up on a farm in Mississippi.
1: Right on, right on. and spent 45 days in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> Came back and desperately needed a shower. I didn't. Yeah.
0: You know, it, it took me till I was 30 years old to figure out why I couldn't spell it's because I didn't <laughs> pronounce anything right.
1: <laughs> you wrote like you talked and uh, you didn't, didn't come out with you know, spell it check was, It, it wasn't ruined. right. <laughs> that's funny. Well, that's fantastic. And I think, you know, very, very valuable wisdom. Uh, from your career and, and your experience. And I mean, people can have all the IQ smarts in the world, or they can be born uh, with some sort of privilege or whatever. It will never be hard work and diligence and, you know, just, just continuing to learn and grow because, you know, I'll tell you, you're an example, a shining example of nonstop living, living your best life and, and, continuing to grow and pick it up because i mean there's only there's only one trip you know you only get one ticket for this thing right live your best life learn as much help help as many people as you can yeah. and uh before you move on to the next next adventure and and you're helping us here mike too so thank you for that any anything we missed or unique uh things that you really wanted to wanted to bring out here before uh. we Sort of wind it down.
0: I, I, I kind of mentioned, you know, being able to step out of your comfort zone and, yep. you know, um, take the initiative. Um, if you're interested in something, take some classes in it, you know, get online, do some research on it. You know, uh, be able to speak intelligently, uh, you know, in, in your interview about the topic. Um, I, I've done some interviews with potential uh, employees that I knew two minutes into it that I was wasting my time. Mm. Uh, they put no effort into it, mm. you know, so, um, you know, put some effort into it and, and on the it uh, shows, on, right. Yeah. It really shows. I, I do want to relate one, one little story about how the military can uh, kind of jump up there and help you out a little bit.
1: Right on. Uh, Let's hear so it. When
0: I, when I left Accenture uh, I, I was looking for something a little more laid back and a buddy of mine who had worked for Allied uh, said, Hey, Allied's looking for electrical guy for a project. Would you be interested? I said, sure. And he, he calls up, you know, the VP and uh, tells him about me. And he mentions that I had been in Special Forces. And the guy says, really? I'm having dinner right now with a Special Forces guy. He said, what's that guy's name? He told him and the guy looks across the table and he's like, hey, you know this guy, Mike Perkins? He said, yeah, I was his cadre in, in Special Forces uh, uh, training course. You know, he, He's one of my my, uh, my, the best guys I had come through the course, I was hired. <laughs>
1: nice, nice. <laughs> I love it. I mean, vets helping vets. And, you know, it's really a small community. It is a, a, a really small community. I, I know at least, uh, one other Army Special Forces guy, uh, that, uh, is, has also been on this podcast, uh, Ken Hurst. And I don't know if you and Ken ever cross paths, yeah. but, uh, yeah, he's he's a great guy as well. So uh this is fantastic. Thank you Mike. Really appreciate uh what you've done for our country and what you've done for us here on this mission, what you're doing for the maintenance and reliability community as well. So I think that is going to wrap us up. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and and help us on this mission. If people want to get a hold of you, I mentioned your LinkedIn profile. Is that sure. your primary Access to social media and anything uh, else? thats my only access to social okay. media. Okay, well, smart. Yeah, I keep, keep a
0: very uh, small <laughs> social media footprint because that's it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's that's really all you need, right? It's really all you need. And uh, I'm sure if people uh, contact Mobius and and if they can't find your LinkedIn profile or whatever, then then they can get a hold of you. But uh, are you willing to to help somebody out if they have a question or oh, something yeah. like that?
0: Yeah. Matter of fact, uh, shortly, uh, I've got a call with a uh, young guy that I, I hired not too long ago, uh, working with him to get spun up to speed on a project and working on his skill sets.
1: Nice. Nice. Well, I haven't met a veteran who's not willing to help another veteran in, in their quest to, to live their best lives and, and make transition journeys and, and get better every day. So thank you for that. Um, Before we close, I'd like to remind our listeners to give us a five-star rating. If you enjoy what we've got going on here, it will really help us out. And finally, thank you, Mike. And thank you, Mobius, for providing this platform to help both transitioning vets as well as those looking to hire them in the field of maintenance and reliability. Bev out.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Veterans Connected. We will see you back for another episode very soon. In between, we hope to see you in the Veterans Connected community group where you can meet Eric and fellow podcast guests and share with other industry veterans at mobiusconnect.com. And we hope to see you there.